Constant Quest podcast with Teen and Taylor. How's it going, buddy? Doing well. It's crazy. We're filming our third, I guess, third full session. You know, yours, yours had a, two parts to it. Like I said earlier, I didn't realize we'd be filming our third session from our third state. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that we'll be able to continue on that tradition. Um, I didn't think about that before we came. I did think about that it was three different locations. Yeah. But I certainly didn't think about the uh, the third different state. That's pretty impressive. Georgia, South Carolina, or Georgia, North Carolina, now now South Carolina. So, yeah. We're about to travel a little further, I guess, to get a fourth state where yeah, it's not pretty good in between those three. But <laughs> I don't know that we want to continue on with that, to be honest. Yeah. That might present some challenges. I do like the recording them in different places. It kind of, I don't know if it breaks up the monotony. I mean, it's still new and fresh to us. So I think even if we were in the same place, it would still be enjoyable and exciting and new. But uh, it is kind of neat to be to be in a different setting. So maybe we can still mix that part up, even if we are starting to repeat states after this one. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It kind of fits with our theme a little bit. It's like you can't really get comfortable in one specific setting, which I actually felt pretty comfortable because we were at my place last time. Yeah. But just having a different environment is like, oh, man, kind of kind of throws you off a little bit in a good yeah. way to get out of your comfort zone. So. Yeah, and it's kind of weird when you know the camera's on, like, you know, how how are you sitting in the room and, you know, it's just, it's different. You got to get all situated. It maybe takes us a little longer than average to get situated <laughs> to get all of our uh, equipment working properly and everything. But yeah, man, here we are and good to go. I'm excited today, mostly about your story from start to present and seeing what, what makes you tick and, and makes you kind of who you are. I'll just say for myself, it was interesting going through that, both having the conversation with you because, you know, I took a trip back through my life to some times that I don't talk about all the time. So it was really cool, different emotions, I guess, but it was really cool to take that trip back and <clears throat> relive some times in my life that have, that, that have made me who I am that I don't necessarily think about on a daily basis, not to give you any advice or anything, but I, I'm glad that I just sort of let it all develop as it did and, and not try to structure it because I didn't have much of a plan going in other than it's my life and I'm familiar with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. I kind of went chronologically, but, but yeah, it was really cool recording it. It was pretty cool listening to it after the fact and, um, and some of the feedback, I guess that, that I've gotten, I haven't, I haven't really personally shared it with a lot of people yet because we're still figuring out this whole podcast medium. And I want to make sure that, we're getting out of it what we want. And so I don't want, I don't want to base how I view the success of it on other people's reaction. And so that's kind of been important to me. I've wrestled with that a little bit, especially mm -hmm. since the last two episodes were very heavy on my past and my life. So I've really enjoyed that aspect of it too, of like, I felt so comfortable when we were recording it. And then all of a sudden I was like, this is out in the world now, which mm -hmm. is a good thing. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So. Right. I agree with that. It was good to hear positive feedback. I do agree with you, though. It's like, what do we want this to be? And we've talked about how it can sometimes be challenging to like set the parameters so you're not just spilling over and that you have parameters around each one of your episodes so that you're not talking about the same things every time. And, and yeah, and not being influenced by other people because, you know, we started this and we did it just because it felt good for us. And I think staying true to that. And actually did get some good feedback along the, those lines. It was like, you guys just sound really like authentic and sincere, which is exactly what we want to be. And it's like, let's be driven by the authenticity of our conversation and not by, hey, well, we think more people will listen to this or it's more relevant. I feel like 
all of that will happen in the long run if you stay authentic to ourselves and, and that sort of thing. So I agree with you. Going back to your, your episode too, it was, it was really, I'm glad you went first. And I think that I told you that after, just because for me, yeah, it was good. It was awesome to hear your story. I learned things that I didn't know. And I appreciate you opening up because I think that in a self-preservation kind of way, yeah, you know, you tend to like go through hard times and then you're like, wow, like, well, I came out on the other side of that. And you feel like maybe you don't want to rehash all the challenging times that led you to that point. I think one of the things as I thought about different parts of my life that I wanted to highlight, I'm glad you did that because otherwise I feel like I would just talk to all these like positive points and not talk about the struggles that led me to get there. Cause I'm big on the depth of your suffering kind of leads to like the same amount of like enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Right. And so I feel like if you don't talk about these challenging times, everybody's just going to look at your story and be like, well, gosh, you just had it easy the whole time. Right. And like, and then this happened and then that happened. Um, so it really made me think about why did I have some of these really good moments in life, whether it was through, and I'll get into the specific examples of it, but what were the challenging times that kind of led to that? And how do you put yourself out of your comfort zone some, sometimes that enables some of these really good events to happen? Um, but your story kind of made me think about that in a different light of almost like, all right, so this was really good positive, but what were the negatives of it? We can talk about that. Otherwise, you know, we're all just sitting here acting like we're hitting the highlights and it's like, that was you seemed like you had a really easy life and just kind of breezed through things. And that wasn't the case at all. So that just made me think of a quote. I'm reading a book right now called falling upward by a guy named Richard Rohr. And he says, by denying their pain, avoiding the necessary falling, many have kept themselves from their own spiritual depths and therefore have been kept from their own spiritual heights. You know, and you said it several times about the inversely proportional happiness to sadness or whichever emotions you choose but struggle to triumph. Anyway, it made me think about that. And yeah, and, and even some of the little mundane details or seemingly smaller details that I've skipped over for years and years and years that I touched on a few of those. And I'm like, man, maybe those were more impactful in the long term than I thought they were at the time. And the, the asthma thing was a big, a big thing through my life and my story we were talking about. But I don't think about it because it was just something I had. But man, the the chain reaction that 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 started but for sure um, anyway I, not to go back down that road but just wanted to talk a little bit about the the hangover from mine and some thoughts i had after the fact um and i'm yeah i'm really excited about about this part with you so almost the same as as you started with me is that i knew you when you were probably in your late 20s i guess when you came here to go to grad school? Yeah, I would have been, I was here in 2010, it was 12 years ago, so 25, yeah, mid-20s. Okay, yeah. And so I was familiar with a little bit of like, again, highlights that happened throughout your life, high school, college, sports, but I don't know as much about, you know, the beginning stages either. So I'm interested to learn a lot more about that as well, just like um, you said about me. So yeah, man, if you want to yeah. get started, this. Take us back, man. Take us on a trip back to the beginning. Yeah, I'll kick it off from the beginning. It will be interesting for you because I think that I was talking to, to my sister Kelly the other day and she's like, it's so funny that you were really quiet growing up because of people that know you now. I do feel like I'm extroverted and you know, really get a lot of energy from interacting with people and just love to hear other people's story. But yeah, so born and raised in Columbus, Georgia and um like teen and I'm a middle child, we have that in common for sure in terms of having an, an older brother. My older brother's four years older than me. Then I came along and I got a younger sister, uh, three years younger than me. So we both have that 
boy, boy, girl, and both being the middle child thing going on. I thought it was important to touch on just kind of my where we grew up in our neighborhood. I really feel fortunate. Uh, we grew up in this neighborhood called Hunter's Point in Columbus, and it was just like something that you would see on TV. We had all these other kids around there. Uh, we lived on a cul-de-sac, and I feel like back in the day, I feel like whether parents were more trusting or things just felt safer, you know, they knew everybody in the neighborhood, so we could just kind of open up the door and like the whole neighborhood was our playground, right? We probably had 30 kids around our age within a you know, four or five year range that we could just go and meet up with. So we would always have these huge baseball games like on our cul-de-sac and stuff. And everybody on our, our, our road and where the cul-de-sac was just had kids around our age. So I just feel really fortunate to have grown up in that type of neighborhood. There was a lot of outdoor activities and stuff, right? Like when I was growing up, they had just kind of, you know, Nintendo was kind of coming around and things. So you didn't have as much exposure, obviously nothing with the internet and everything that we have now. Um, but I just remember being outside a lot and like loving it. You know, there was a lake behind our house and we would go back there and we would catch these little like baby turtles in a creek and like bring them back and the other side of the neighborhood could go out the other side of it. And there was like stables that had like animals and stuff. So I guess I'm actually just thinking about this now. Like there was almost this like element of you're opening the door and you're exploring the world which I kind of feel like is the same way I live my life now, but I've never thought about that until I was just talking about it. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe that was put there for a purpose and kind of like pushed me down that path at an early age. But yeah, I thought it was important to touch on that just because I feel like I had this awesome childhood and it wasn't because, you know, I grew up in a middle-class family and my parents weren't like loaded or anything like that, but we were able to take family vacations. I really valued that upbringing more so than, you know, having a bunch of stuff. And um, so I felt like we had a very good kind of middle ground of being able to, I had everything that I needed, but I didn't have all this stuff in excess and really derived a lot of happiness and stuff from my childhood about just being out and exploring and being with friends and, and that sort of thing. So we were there until uh, I think we moved when I was in third grade to the house that my parents actually still live in now. It was a fine neighborhood, but definitely nothing would replace or could replicate, mm -hmm. um, you know, that first neighborhood that we grew up in. Uh, but kind of going back, I was a super quiet kid. Um, my brother was way more outgoing. He was much smaller than me too, maybe not at the time, but just in terms of at the same age, he was substantially smaller. So I feel like he always had this chip on his shoulder and was way more outgoing and kind of feisty. I was this, you know, introspective, quiet kid and, and that sort of thing. From my standpoint, if people ask me about it, it was like, well, I just didn't feel like I had anything to say. And I honestly feel that way. A little bit about life now where it's like I do think there's a lot of people out there it's like if you would just kind of stop talking and observe we can learn a lot from situations just by being better listeners you know and I'm certainly not immune to that myself but I felt like growing up it was like I just wanted to take it all in and I was just waiting to take it all in before I made a move or had something to speak so yeah super quiet kid super close with both my siblings I feel like I always have been we fought a lot growing up and I almost feel like the more you interacted and were fighting, like is kind of an indicator of how close you are later on, at least for us. I can um, relate to that. I, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just growing up, you know, I was, I was really close with my brother and my sister. My sister was the baby. So I feel like we oftentimes ended up in these and my dad would always say it's two verse one, it's two verse one, but we would just instigate things. My brother and I would with my sister all the time. It was just constant. Up until I feel like I was a sophomore in high school, and then it was just this unspoken truce. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of like arguments we've been in from the time I was 16 
to right now when I'm 37 years old. So I like just super close with my sister, uh, super close with my brother. And I, I really value those relationships. Um, I was thinking the other day, you know, people ask that question of like, who's the people that you would like, if you could just have like one dinner or meet up like one person. And I thought, and like some people would pick like famous people or historical figures. I was like, I think it would just be my brother and my sister and myself hanging out. So we just yeah. have a good time, you know, and we all know each other better than anybody else in the world for the most part. But yeah, and I know that that's not always the case. So I do like cherish those relationships because I see other people and, you know, some people almost look at it as like weird that I'm as close to my brother and my sister as like their best friends and their siblings all yeah. in one. So. Well, you wonder if those that think it's weird are doing that out of jealousy or envy that they don't maybe have the same relationship because I mean I think as we grow older probably a lot of times the the truce happens at some point with most people but I mean that's yeah it's such a beautiful thing is like you said they know you better than anybody else yeah and I and I know you guys are the are the same way too but yeah it's definitely you don't you don't ever know right because you grow up and, and that's just your reality and so you don't have any point of reference and then you start to meet see other people or you know meet other families and you're like oh this isn't the norm and it makes you know it makes you have some gratitude for it because you know that's not the case with everybody else. But um, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of growing up a little bit. Just this quiet kid, I can kind of fast forward a little bit to. Um, I went to a public elementary school till I was in second grade, and then all of us kind of switched over to private Catholic school. Um, so my sister started from when she was in kindergarten. I was in third grade, and I guess my brother would have been in like seventh. Anyway, so I go through this uh, Catholic middle school told me in eighth grade, my brother's four years older than me. So the time I'm entering or leaving eighth grade, he's leaving high school to go to college. I had hung out with him and his friends all the time. I mean, like I said, my brother was extroverted. I was more introverted, just kind of tagged along to a lot of the stuff that they did. Uh, I felt like I had good relationships like with his friends and, and that sort of thing, even though they were, they were four years older than me. But when it came time to go to, co go to high school for me, my brother was graduating, but he had a bunch of friends you know, his age and even younger who were in the Catholic high school that I would have fed right into. Anyway, there was a good Columbus, good high school in, in Columbus called Columbus High. It had a magnet program, right? It wasn't private. So like there's clearly a cost to going to private school and stuff. And it was still a really good school academically. So my parents kind of gave me the option to, to entertain that. And I talked to some of my brother's friends and things like that. And, um, you know, they were all kind of pushed me to go to Columbus for whatever reason. It was like, Columbus is a great school. It's bigger, whatever, more opportunity. And so I ended up going to Columbus High. Oh, um, he went to the Catholic school? My brother did. My okay. brother did go to Pacelli. was the Catholic high school. Gotcha. Um, graduated from there. So I go to Columbus, the public school. And it was just different. You know, as a quiet kid, being in a class of 30 people, right, or something like somewhere around there in middle school, then going to high school where it's like, I think the high school probably had around 1200, right? Or like 300 in my class. A lot of these kids having come from the same public school, right? So there's kind of built in established relationships there. Mm -hmm. Whereas me, I mean, I could count on one hand. I think it was one other guy that I, that I was thinking of that came from my middle school into my high school, right? So it's like, that's one of 300. So anyway, you're just trying to establish all these new friendships. Thankfully, I played sports. I think that was a big just entry into to getting to know people and stuff. I played football, basketball, and soccer, so that was nice to not just be the new kid in all aspects. But yeah, I was like super quiet, and you know these other kids came in from other schools and had all these pre-existing relationships. Anyway, long story short, I go to Columbus High for my freshman year and my sophomore year. I just wasn't super happy. Like there was this bigger environment that I wasn't used to, 
I was a quieter kid. Yeah, I just didn't love it. So at some point I started having conversations with my parents and actually transferred back to Pacelli, which was the, the Catholic high school that my brother had graduated from, that was you know, the high school that all the kids from our Catholic middle school would have gone to. Um, and I loved it. It was the right move. My high school is tiny. It was, Harris probably like 40 people in my class. Uh, but for me, being a quiet kid and like being used to that, right? Because I went through, through middle school in the same kind of um, class size and stuff. I loved it. Same thing, playing, played sports there. Just felt like that smaller school environment really suited me more. Um, I was really glad I, I uh, transferred back to Pacelli. Um, had a great high school experience. Now it's, I guess there's one thing that I didn't want to touch on there. Played football, basketball, and soccer. Same thing in my last two years at Pacelli. Uh, at some point, one of my high school coaches had kind of mentioned, like, hey, have you ever thought about, like, playing in college and there was some interest from like smaller schools, maybe about playing in college and things like that. I had played sports my whole life and was kind of, I don't know, just maybe more interested in having the the quote unquote typical college experience and not being tied down to like playing sports and things like that. Yeah. And so I'd entertain the idea of doing it on like at a smaller school. But I remember like some point in my senior year that our defensive coordinator at the time was like, you should walk on at Georgia. And I remember thinking like, who am I to, walk on at Georgia, you know, like I'm a decent high school athlete, but like, this is, this is the big leagues, right? This mm-hmm. is UGA. This is the team that I've, and as a side note for anybody who doesn't know me, I've grown up my whole life, a huge Georgia fan. I was born and raised in Georgia, right? If you're from the South, you get it. Football is almost like a religion down here. And so that was it, right? There was no pro team that was more important. It was like the university of Georgia's that's my team. That's it's a pretty like, good time right now to be talking about being a Georgia fan, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I figured that would pop up in here there, somewhere. <laughs> there's been a lot of suffering to get to this point. So, yes, I am very happy that there's back-to-back national championships, but there have been a lot of close calls and suffering. You are even uh, a witness to many of these in person. Yeah. And can maybe that's a good testament, too, to the, the depth that you have to go through to uh-huh. reach the triumph because there were some tough times for me <laughs> um, watching Georgia football. But, uh but yeah, my defensive coordinator at the time was like, have you ever thought about walking out of Georgia? And I was just like, that's such a far-fetched thing. Why would I ever, like, who am I? And maybe I'm not even good enough. I haven't thought about that. Like, how could I do that, you know? But I will say, I think back to that, and it was like, just planting that seed in my head was important. Because when you have people that believe in you, maybe more so than you even believe in yourself, and people who are older, who you admire and respect, it impacted me, which I'll get into later. So I was like, well, who am I at the time, right? But uh, anyway, so at the t- before we, I, that's interesting. I just wanted to, uh, about the recruiting process because it's so different nowadays. I feel like than it was then, and I think a lot of kids' experience is different going through the recruiting process. But to hear you say it in a way of like, man, I was just there, kind of doing what I do, and somebody like nudged me and was like, man, you. Not to say like you didn't believe in yourself, but almost like you didn't, you weren't even aware of that world that existed out there and, uh, right. and the impact that somebody at your school had on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that the, the Georgia thing was different than, you know, there was like some, and I honestly don't know to this day how much interest there was. There was like smaller schools that would send you like recruiting material and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, am I one of a million who just got this? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're feeling all good. It was like to Taylor Moss. And it was like, okay, there was like a million people that got this. But uh, yeah, so there was some interest from smaller schools, but I never really, I don't know. I feel like maybe part of that was on me for not really like pursuing it. Or maybe it was just like, well, we did send this out. I mean, again, I was like, I was pretty good in high school. I wasn't. 
anywhere close to like D1, you know, material or anything like that. But when, when my coach, when I had that conversation with my coach, it kind of stuck with me. So anyway, wrapping up high school, decided I don't want to do anything sports wise. My brother had gone to what is now the, I think it's the University of North Georgia now. He was in his, at the end of his fourth year, was graduate. He was like a double major, so he was going to graduate in five years. Anyway, so I go up to North Georgia, which was the same school that he was at. Didn't really find a school that I like absolutely loved, similar to the life scholarship that you had mentioned, Dean, in your previous uh, podcast. Um, there was a Hope Scholarship in Georgia. I think it's pretty similar. If you yeah. make decent grades, you stay in state. They pay for your tuition and give you money for books. So <laughs> if you want to go out of state, you better have a really good reason to because it doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. Anyway, so I knew I was going to stay in the state of Georgia, visited a few schools. North Georgia, I felt like was the best fit. So I'll go to North Georgia. You might not actually know this either, but at the time, if you were a guy and you lived on campus, you had to be in the Corps of Cadets. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. So my first semester, uh, and Kelly actually brought this up. I remember you go through this orientation. It's called Frog Week. And it's always funny because like you're, it has, it's the acronym for some other, that freshman recruitment orientation, something. It's kind of a lesser version of like boot camp, right? They're just giving you a bunch of crap. You're going through like this quote unquote hell week. I mean, it's not that bad, right? Because, you know, you're in college and it's like... It's fine, but you know you definitely have people just yelling at you and stuff, kind of like in a in a boot camp type of setting. And um, I remember when I showed up, like I, I feel like I've always, even though I was a quiet kid, I felt like I was like a positive, like happy kid. You know, it's like, I mean, we should appreciate life and that sort of thing. And I remember like going there, and I was just like, for me, I wasn't even just like in a better mood. I was just like, this is my normal level, and I guess I was just smiling. And one of the people was like, Moss, why are you smiling so much? And I was just thinking, that's the wrong question, man. That should be like, why are you not smiling, you know, enough? Hello. Uh, anyway, but I never knew that because at the time I was just being me, right? I didn't know that that was different. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, shouldn't we all just, I don't know, be appreciative of life and like, don't be mad at me because I'm in a bad mood or because you're in a bad mood. My sister thought that the story was funny because it felt, she felt like it like encapsulated who I was and I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that that was any different because that was just who I was and I feel like I'm trying to be a pretty like positive and happy person, <laughs> but yeah. But anyway, so I go through this like freshman orientation week and do the whole Corps of Cadets thing my first semester. Um, I knew I wasn't going to go in the military, so it wasn't really much of a uh, purpose in like staying in there. Kind of found a loophole that a lot of people did where if you had a relative that lived within like 45 miles of the campus, you could live with them. So a lot of people would use that as their address and then just live off campus. So uh, my aunt lived just inside of that 45 mile range. So I said I was living with my aunt and I moved in with my brother and uh, yeah, which was awesome. So I kind of got to spend his last semester. We lived together. He just lived in this crazy party house, which is a whole nother ordeal. But um, yeah, so lived with my, my second semester freshman year with my brother. Um, and at some point during that time, somewhere around there, I might be getting my semesters mixed up a little bit but I started to miss really playing playing sports and playing football and again planting that seed from a while back with my defense coordinator in high school I was like well if I want to play again why not like reach for the stars type of thing and uh so yeah I just came up with this crazy plan to let me see if I can transfer to Georgia and walk on the football team which was crazy at the time and I didn't really tell many people I don't know that I told anybody about it to be honest um because I'm not really big on talk I think big on action and but I will say there's something to be said for sharing your dreams and things like that with people and having support so I could probably I'm not saying there's a right way or or, or a wrong way um, and I could probably be better about 
sharing because I do think that sometimes we have down times and it's nice to have somebody in your corner who can pick you up. That being said, I think there's also something to be said for share within a small, close-knit circle who can support you. You don't have to necessarily share everything broadly to the whole entire world. But anyway, so I came up with this crazy idea. And yeah, from there, it was like, all right, I need to get myself in shape. I hadn't been playing football or anything. So like been out of the game for a year, like I need to start working out a bunch and and that sort of thing. And so, uh, yeah, like that whole my second going into my second year, started working out a bunch and kind of chasing this dream. Although and this is the part that made me think about as you went through your session team that looking back like. I was really depressed that particularly that second year um, that I was at North Georgia. I remember some of my good buddies from school who I'm really close with, even to this day, they would mess with me at the time and say like, oh, you're just sad. And it was an acronym for social anxiety disorder because I didn't want to go out in public and do stuff because I just was like so depressed. Mm -hmm. And I felt like as much at the time as I don't know, I mean, I'm I'm a social person, but I guess I just kind of felt like looking back on it. College just becomes all about like you're just going out and you're getting hammered and you're drinking a bunch. Not all about that. There's a lot of that, right? And I just I just felt like there's got to be more to this, right? You're just out getting hammered all the time and like, all right, it's fine. Like, I like being out with friends and doing that. But like, if that just becomes the standard, like every Friday, Saturday night, and then you're just hung over, it's like, that's a lot of your life that you're just hung over at, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's got to be more to this. While simultaneously you're in college and you're supposed to be making these huge life decisions that for some reason somebody told you was for the rest of your life, which is complete BS and I don't agree with. And so I'm like, well, here I am in college and everybody said I'm in the best period of my life, but I'm depressed and I'm lacking direction. And yeah, I know I want to do this football thing, but like, I'm not really getting a whole lot of just going out and drinking all the time. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to act like I have this holier than thou attitude. Like I participated in that for sure. But it's like, all right, I'm good with that. But like, what else? There's also something more. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, that's got to be such a common story. Not to discount yours, but people going through that in college because you are certainly told that this is for the rest of your life and it's the best time of your life. So it's like, all right, well, I need to show up and I need to have the most fun ever because that's what everybody told me because this is it. And also, while I'm here having the most fun ever, allegedly, I've got to figure out my whole life. And if I take one misstep, then I'm just screwed forever. Yep. At least that was the the idea that I felt like I had. And it sounds like similar to what you had. And yep. so that breeds a lot of depression and anxiety and yeah, it's, I don't know what the balance is, but like we've talked about many times, you go through that, but a lot of times it's the first step. Like you don't want people to, to go to a dark place like that. And you didn't even really maybe know how to identify what you were going through, but it bred this wild idea to leave North Georgia College and potentially go to University of Georgia, the big boy in the state, and walk on their football team after not being heavily recruited, as you just said, and after sitting out of football for a year. That's not typically something that you can just jump right back into at a high level and go to a place like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just weird to think about things in that respect. That's like, I'm going to talk about this crappy time that I went through, but without it, I wouldn't have done the next step. Exactly. For sure. And you, you touched on something too, and I won't elaborate on it too much, but just the whole like college is the best time of your life knowing what I know now and the different periods of my life, which all had incredible like highs and certainly like a lot of lows to them too. But I've never looked at back at one period and been like, 
I would wish I could really go back and relive that. I look at people now and I'm like, man, if college was the best time of your life and you, you really want to go back and relive that, I think you kind of need to reevaluate the things that you're doing now because it says more about that to me. And I tend think that people tend to glamorize things, right? It's like you, you left college and it's like, oh, it's the best time of my life. And I was like, yeah, but you had some struggles there too, you yeah. know? So yeah, I think the onus is on us to say like, if, if, if there was another period of your life that was better or you're, you're not happy now, and I know this isn't always easy, it's like, well, people want to take a step out of that box and make some change and thing, changes and things like that. So, um, but anyway, so I finished up my second year at North Georgia and at some point, I don't even remember how all this debt went down, to be honest. I'd gotten in touch with who was at the time the, the, he managed all the walk-ons at the University of Georgia. I think I'd sent in some tape. And so I had to apply to the University of Georgia, which is not always like super easy to get into. So I'll get into school there. And then I think I was going through orientation, like right before my junior year. So I finished up my first two years at North Georgia, going through orientation at Georgia. And I'd reached out to that coach again. So like, this was actually pretty cool and I didn't even think about mentioning it. We're at orientation. I actually hadn't even told my parents that I was trying to walk on. Cause I'm big on like, let me just do it. And then we can talk about it. I don't want to say I'm going to do something and then not do it, you know? So I hadn't even told my parents, but we're at orientation. It's like my sister, my dad, and my mom. And I get a call from the coach who was managing walk-ons. He's like, hey, can you meet? So like during, we're on campus, right? I'm a huge Georgia, we're all huge Georgia fans, right? Grew up with my dad watching games all the time. And I'm like, hey dad, I got to tell you something. We got to go to the, what has a funny name. It's called the the Butts Mirror building. It's like Wally Butts and the other guys, something Mirror. Anyway, like we got to go to the UGA like athletic facility because I got to like talk to this guy. I mean, this is where the coach's offices are. This is where the weight room is. This is the whole ordeal, right? And so my dad's just like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we're like walking there. I'm like, well... I'm trying to walk on and like, I'm like giving him this whole story. Meanwhile, like 10 minutes later, we find ourselves like in this building and we're like in a room and my dad's like looking at like a recruiting board on the wall. And he's just like in amazement, you know, you're like walking through and it's like the former players has got like pictures on the wall. Yeah. These guys playing in the NFL and stuff. And I was like a kid in the candy store too. Cause I'm like, I mean, this is, this is the big leagues, right? Like this is, it doesn't get any bigger than that for me in terms of the teams that I was like passionate about. Um, so that was pretty cool. So anyway, Long story short, kind of go through that whole process. When I talked to the coach initially, um, I was enrolling in the fall, but he had said it probably makes sense to come on in the spring. I can't remember if it was a numbers thing or what, which was fine by me because that would have given me a fall semester to like work out in the weight room and uh, just get myself in better shape. Um, so anyway, that's kind of what happened. I joined, I entered into, or started school in Georgia in the fall of, gosh, would have been in 2005 and just started working out the weight room, kind of in the UGA weight room, kind of have a workout plan, but I'm on my own. And I remember the first kind of week of going through that workout plan, like I was dying. Like I remember coming out and it was just like one of those workouts you have where like, I can't move. I feel like I'm about to vomit. There's parts of my body that haven't worked out this hard in my entire life. But yeah, of course, just like stuck with it, right? And was appreciative that I had those resources from a facility standpoint and like having access to strength coaches and stuff. And I think that was the first time that I really like applied myself in the weight room. And when you're young like that and you haven't really ever gotten into like serious, serious lifting for a period of time, I mean, it certainly wasn't all muscle. I'm sure some of it was, you know, fat, but like I gained like 20 pounds in three months of just, just from like consistently working out and things like that. Um, and being younger, right. And having that 
kind of boost that you get when you're younger of like this is the first time you really started working out like right now workout i couldn't put on 20 pounds not that i would want to anyway right yeah. but you kind of get that boost when you're in that 18 to 22 range a little bit i feel like but anyway so yeah i go through workouts i come on in the spring and now i'm like part of the team basically like uh like i said I like submitted tape and stuff like that and uh yeah so now i'm coming on as a walk-on and then you're going through start off kind of in workouts in the spring then you're going through these like brutal things called mat drills where you're up at like some ungodly hour in the morning 5 a.m and uh they were notorious for just being brutal there was literally like wrestling mats and you're doing all sorts of conditioning drills and um it was tough but it was always worth it because for me it's like um, i was kind of in awe I'm like i'm living my dream right now you know and it was super cool so enter into spring practice same kind of thing you know it's like i remember lining up and it's like I had, uh, which was some of the greatest advice ever was I had played fullback and linebacker in high school and, and kind of deciding which route I wanted to go in college. Somebody was like, definitely don't play offense. Like you're going against the first team defense. You get beat up a ton. It's like, you want to be on the defensive <laughs> side, like delivering or hoping to deliver the blows. Right. So it was a great advice. I'm so glad I played linebacker because playing fullback for as a walk on at Georgia would just be like I'd probably have CTE right now or something. Anyway, so going to spring practice and I just remember like I'm looking at these dudes like I was watching the previous fall, you know, like on TV and as a fan, you know, and it's like here's Thomas Brown and here's you know, uh, yeah, dudes that had played in the NFL and stuff, and it's like here I am on the other side from them, but. uh it was a cool experience, man. So finish that up in the spring, come through the fall. Um, same kind of thing. I think it's always interesting from an outsider's perspective. You look and you say like, well, who played on Saturday? And it's like only so many people get to play. And But there's so many other like people that are involved in practice, whether it be support staff and coaches or like actual players that don't get in the game on Saturday. And you're all doing the same thing mm -hmm. during the week, right? You're all meeting for just like film sessions and things like that and working at workouts and then obviously I practice, but uh, it was awesome, man. I got to dress for a few games being in Sanford stadium, like sitting there, Phil Collins in the air tonight playing before a game. It's just like this surreal experience of like, man, you know, I dreamed of this and now I'm here kind of living it. Um, it was really cool. Um, so dress, dress for a few games, Obviously went through like the whole season. Uh, we made the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl that year, played Virginia mm -hmm. Tech, had this like crazy comeback, ended up winning the game. And yeah, so then I'm going into what should have been my last year of college. I actually graduated in four and a half years, but, uh, and I felt like I had done it, you know, I, th that would have been my senior year and if I chose to play again. So I would have like walked for senior day and stuff like that. And but yeah, I've never really done things for like the accolades. And I felt like for me, I had done what I set out to do mm. and play in my senior year. I could have done that. Football is a big grind, right? Like it's tough mentally. It's tough physically. It's very time consuming. Um, so I kind of felt like I'd done what I'd done and just to like check some box and be like, I, I walked on senior day and I got this football or people saw me. That was never my motivation and still not my motivation for the reason why I do things today. I will say, as I started to think about what I wanted to highlight in this session, and I've never really told anybody this. I think that uh, I think sometimes we set our dreams too low. And so for me, you know, I met North Georgia. The thought of like walking on to UGA is like that mountain is already like so high, right? So it's like I just want to walk on, and I'm good enough just being one of a hundred on the team. I think looking back on it, and maybe this is unfair for the to the people who put in the work and the dedication. I wonder looking back on it, right? If I would have applied myself 
harder earlier, if I would have had that dream earlier and I would have set that dream higher to say, no, I want to be like on the field, right? I want to, I want to be on the field. I want to be a contributing member, right? In terms of like playing time and not just a walk on who's on scout team and stuff like that. And I've never said that, I think to anybody that I can remember at least, but it was a lesson for me of like, wow, that goal that you had was like really high. What if you would have set it even higher Mm. and thought like, why not? Right. I mean, not to bring it back to present day, but like Stetson Bennett, everybody's told him his whole life, even, even till today, it's like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Coaches at the University of Georgia, you're not good enough. And so, yeah, it just makes me wonder, like, I think that your belief in yourself can go a long way. Um, and I don't mean that in any like regretful way for the way that I did. It was more of a lesson learned in terms of, hey, you had this big goal. Really glad that I did it. What if your goal was even bigger? And how do you take those lessons learned and apply them to the future? So I don't regret not doing that, but I do think it was a lesson learned and like, wow, next time you do something, maybe your goal shouldn't be, you know, so low, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I love that. And, and you've said similar stuff to as that before, not in respect to yourself, but just even when we were talking about my running and different stuff, it's like, if you just focus on the process, then why, why are you setting your goals so low? I, mean, I heard you say that in regard to other people before, but it's interesting to hear you say it about yourself. And it's, it's also difficult probably at that age and that period of life, there's, you're figuring out so much stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully we're figuring things out until our last day, but at that specific time period, I mean, you already just made a couple huge decisions to change things up and which is probably more ballsy than a lot of people are comfortable doing. So I credit you for, for sticking your neck out there and, and dreaming and trying something new because people that didn't try that are like, man, you did the ultimate, but it's a beautiful thing to, to hear you say, all right, you did that in my eyes, but in your eyes going through it, it's like, well, man, if I would have put that notch a little bit higher, I would have reached for that. Right. And man, that's, that's inspiring to hear and, and applicable to, you know, the way that we live the rest of our life. Yeah. And I, and I do think it's a delicate balance. Give yourself credit for the things that you've done. But if you can look back and say, I want to continue to improve and I want to continue to push the the boundaries of my comfort zone or what I'm able to do physically or whatever that thing is, or this business that you want to launch, whatever that thing is. Right. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think you can have both. You can be happy with what you accomplished while at the same time have lessons learned that you want to apply to the future that allow you to grow more. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that, I, that I've thought about just to kind of recap a little bit from, from where you started to the point where, where we currently are uh, towards the end of college. And I don't want to cut you short on that either. Good. But you were talking about like your family dynamic and growing up and how as a kid you were introverted and you were just sort of taking it all in and watching and learning and listening. And there's certainly something to be said for that because it doesn't stop there. Then you're mulling it over and thinking and learning and figuring it out to then eventually apply it. But one thing that I've respected about you is that that you've got, got that side. And I feel like that when you make a decision, it's very calculated and you're very prepared and you do the work on the front end, that's something that I lack. So I, I think I noticed that more in people that have it. So I respected that about you. But in tandem with that, I also respect your ability to be spontaneous or, or seemingly spontaneous, but make the big decision, be at North Georgia and think, I'm going to go walk on at Georgia. That thought might have gone through my mind at that age, but that's all it would have done. It would have mm-hmm. just passed through my mind. I don't know that I would have put it into action, but you prepared yourself for it. You considered all the external things and then you put it into play. Um, and I think that's going to come up later in your life with some decisions that you've made. I mean, you're just a small town Georgia guy 
you've only gone to school in Georgia, even though you wound up on the biggest stage, you're still somewhat local-ish in a comfort comfort zone, even though you, you stepped out in some ways that maybe sure. other people didn't. But as you're getting ready to move forward, I suspect what we're getting ready to talk about yeah. was another major thing like that, that it's like, man, you do it and somebody may view it as like, he just up and did this crazy thing. Right. But I, I think the knowing you now, the way that you approach stuff, there's, there's more to it that on, than that on the front end where you actually like focus and prepare. Uh, yes. You, you actually probably articulated that better than I would have myself. Cause I do appreciate. That's surprising. You know, like I, cause I do agree with you. I've actually been called calculating from a really good friend of mine for it in, in a positive way as well. That I was like, man, I, I do appreciate that. Um, cause I do try to put thought in and it's not just like, I'm not flying by the seat of my pants to your point though. I think some other people can be like, man, this guy's doing this and then he's doing that. And it's just like, I'm not just chasing the shiny object, right? There's a, and I do think there can be a downside to being calculating, right? You can sit there and spin your wheels. It's like, Hey, you just got to go do it at some point. Sure. Um, but the, 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 how you put it, the balance between being calculating, but also spontaneous, I would say that like, if I'm making the big decisions like that, I try to try to be calculating and like, look at all the stuff. But, um, at the same time, then it's like, all right, you're operating with like 70% of that information. Nothing's a hundred percent. Nothing's guaranteed. And so you just got to make a decision from it. But yeah, I guess I guess I never thought about that balance between being calculated and, and spontaneous. And I do try to be in my personal life. It's like, Hey, do you want to do this? Like let's roll. Cause yeah. I feel like, what do they say? Like variety is the spice of life, whatever that phrase is like, yeah. Yeah, man, if you just keep, if I keep doing the same thing every day, I, I lose my mind. I know some people are different in that regard, but, uh, yeah, so I too try to be be calculating, but also have the. the I the think you're always driven by the search. Like you, you always want to find out more. And I just now I share that with you. But I think you've always had that. And even when we first met ten plus years ago, I was like, man, you did this thing and this thing and this thing. Like I was scared to get out of my little box. And I just feel like from early on, like, but you just have this this passion towards the search and figuring stuff out and learning about it. And that's that's awesome, man. Man, I appreciate you saying that. I've, like I'm just an explorer, like, I, and it's not just like it's not places. I mean, it is places, but it's not just places, right? Because I do think you gather so much from going to different places of the world. And I don't just mean like I went to this amazing beach. I mean that that can also have an impact on you for sure. But it's like talking to the people and seeing how they grow up and how they live and eating the foods and the sights and the smells is all just it's so cool. And it's like I just want to see what else is out there. I grew up in this little you know, we all did in our little box and there's so many different ways to live out there and people to do it differently. And yeah, just like the, the aspect, the, the various aspects of different cultures. I'm very curious in that, but yeah, not just in terms of from a traveling piece, which I'll probably get into some of this stuff here shortly, but like, even from a people standpoint, it's like, I love connecting with people. Like we all have our story. It's like, what are you passionate about? Like what drives you? And like, I just like to hear, hear from people too, you know? Um, so appreciate you saying that I am like a, a curious person and um, yeah, just like to get out of my comfort zone and try new things. But yeah, so kind of jumping back, I'm now, I decided not to play my last year at Georgia. So now I know that I'm graduating in December of 2007. You know, this is the whole thing of like, what are you gonna do now? Like, what's your career path? I didn't know what I wanted to do in college from a major standpoint. I ended up being an accounting major cause I feel like that's how my mind works and I was just kind of naturally good at it. I go to Georgia. I'm an accounting major there in the, the Terry School of Business, which is supposed to be really good. And I just like wasn't applying myself during that time. And accounting is not really something where you can just not apply yourself and pick it up. Like you just have to like memorize and learn certain rules and things. 
I think it was like the second semester I was there. I just had a terrible semester. And I think I should have probably gone the finance route anyway, because I feel like that more suits what I'm interested in. But um, yeah, anyway, I wanted to change my major, but at that point my GPA had dropped low enough where they wouldn't let me like switch within the business school. So I was like, I'm just gonna go this. There was a major outside of the business school, consumer economics, and a lot of football players did it. And I was like, I'm just trying to get a degree and you know, I don't want to do accounting anymore. Like I'm gonna do this consumer economics degree again, not really knowing how I wanted to use it. It's economics, right? It's pretty broad. You're still getting this business degree. I'll figure out how I want to use it later on. So get that degree. But now I'm starting to I'm about to graduate in the fall of 2007. So now it's like, all right, you gotta go start looking for jobs and stuff. And then somebody at some point had put this idea of the, the Peace Corps in my mind, right? So if, for those of you that don't know Peace Corps, you, there was at the time at least 70 different countries. It was started by JFK, like in the 60s, I think it was. And you basically go live in another country. And the objective at the time was to for you to teach them about American culture, you to learn about their culture, and then like you basically to like do work on the ground to like better the, the country that you're living in. Um, so yeah, you go and live somewhere for a couple years, and at some point, I don't know if I was in high school or college or what, but I had kind of learned about the Peace Corps, and I was like, that sounds really cool, and that's crazy. You just go live somewhere else in a country that you don't know about, oftentimes in very remote parts of the country. You're on your own, right? There's there's other volunteers there, but they're at their own site. There's nobody really around you, typically. So anyway, I'm in this last semester. I'm like, that idea kind of popped back in my head again, and I was like, all right, well, to entertain this, why would I? Why would I not do this, right? And are those reasons legitimate, or is this just running from something that is the unknown and you feel like it's scary? Anyway, I just kind of kept coming back to it, and it honestly, just like felt right. I mean, it felt scary too. Don't get me wrong, like, but it felt like the right thing to do. So, uh, yeah, I made the decision to like apply for the Peace Corps and that sort of thing, and went through that application process in the fall of two thousand seven. Ended up knowing somewhere around the time that I graduated that I was going to go to. Jamaica was the site that I got, and then I would leave in July of 2008. So I had this like break from the end of December till July. Yeah, just to kind of do whatever I wanted. So my brother was living in Costa Rica at the time, and he's like, we should take a trip. You're graduating, which is great advice, by the way. This is kind of a separate plug, but like, don't be in a rush to get in the rat race. Yeah. I know it seems crazy to take a few months off. Hell, take a year off. Go experience life. Like, jobs and all this other stuff will be there you need to get out and you need to explore. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to realize the world's bigger and that like people just live vastly different than we do. And anyway, so it's good I, advice. I co-sign that. I couldn't agree with that <laughs> yeah. anymore. Yeah. Go and do, do yeah. whatever you can. Yeah, I know you guys you had a similar trip too yeah. around that time uh, when you graduated. But um, yeah, so I knew I was going to Jamaica and my brother's like, we should take a trip. And a guy he knew in Costa Rica, his brother, super cool dude, owned a dive shop in Rincon, Puerto Rico. So we're like, we're gonna go to Rincon. There were other options that were looked at, like Indonesia and Thailand. And anyway, we ended up going to Puerto Rico and it was super cool. <laughs> a lot of funny stories around there, but we go down there and we're supposed to stay with his buddy and his buddy, uh, we stayed with him like the first night and then we kind of get like kicked out. It was kind of a weird situation. I'm not sure if he just didn't want us there. He used the land, he used his landlords and said that they didn't want other guests there or whatever. So anyway, we go like find this apartment, live in this like super simple apartment. My brother surfed a bunch. I tried surfing a little bit, wasn't a huge surfer, but uh, we ended up getting certified by the, so my brother and I got certified in scuba diving and then we actually got our advanced certification too. Um, I don't know if I knew that. That's yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was awesome though, because the area right where the dive shop was, was a protected reef. 
And so literally we would just try grab gear, walk out this protected reef. And it's like, you're seeing like beautiful fish and sea turtles wow. and stuff like, cause it's experience. protected. Yeah. And then he was super cool too, Carson, the guy that owned the dive shop. So he let us just grab gear and we'd go to like different parts of the island and just go snorkel and, or, or scuba dive and snorkel. And so, yeah, we just did a ton of scuba diving there in those two months. I, I should have just stayed down there the entire time before I was set to leave for Jamaica, but I came back and lived with my parents for like a few months, um, just kind of buying my time. Um, yeah, and so then July rolls around to 2008, and I'm off. Like, you go, I'm, I'm leaving for Jamaica. Well, you go to a staging process for a few days. We were in with this with my group of fellow Peace Corps volunteers that were going to, to Jamaica. We had a group of 52. Um, so I'm in Miami for a couple of days and then you're going down to Jamaica. I mean, it's a very exciting, but probably more scary and lonely feeling to be 23 years old. And like, I'm supposed to go to this country and work with these other people. And like, what do I know? All I've done is graduate college and live in Georgia for the rest of my life. I'm going to this other country. I briefly traveled outside of the U.S. to one trip to Europe and a couple of times to visit my brother in Costa Rica. But that's very different going to the beach or going to Europe to like, nope, you're going to be on the ground and you're going to be living there. And these people look different than you and their dialect is different. And like, you're going to be on the ground working and trying to get stuff accomplished. So yeah, went down, you go through this whole training process and you're kind of back and forth between your site and training. And then they, you're, you're out on your site, like on your own. And I'll never forget, I'm like in this bus and they were kind of dropping off random volunteers at their sites along the way. And I just remember being on what like I thought was a road in the middle of nowhere. They just kind of open up the door and they're like, all right, this is where you're going to live. And I'm like, well, this isn't even anything. Like, <laughs> what do you mean this is where I'm going to live? This isn't even a town. Like, there, so this town that I lived in, there's, there's these, uh, there's two tiny shops, right, that are, God, I don't even know, probably like 10 by 10. All they have is like dry goods. There's nowhere, there's no restaurants or anything like that. Just two little shops where you can, but with a freezer where you can buy like some meat and stuff predominantly a farming community in the smack middle of Jamaica. Like there's nothing around, even Jamaicans. I mean, I haven't met a single Jamaican in the US. I love Jamaican food still to this day. So I'll go to Jamaican restaurants and be like, oh yeah, I used to live down there. And I feel like they look at me and they're like, what do you know about Jamaica? Yeah. You know, kind of question me. I'll be like, well, do you know where Brownstown is? And it's kind of like, yeah. And then I'm like, well, do you know where Alexandria is? They're like, not really. I'm like, well, if you take a taxi from Alexandria to like where I live, like that's where I live. And they're like, hey, you really lived in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, yeah, dude, I lived in the middle. There was three taxis, Raga, Shim, and Jinx were their nicknames. And they just ran that route. And so in Jamaica, you get into taxis and like, it's not like a taxi here. You're basically paying what at the time was equivalent of a dollar and you get your seat, right? Well, you're in this like old beat up, the equivalent of a Toyota Corolla or something in the capacity of that vehicle, I'm not getting at a bare minimum, at least in like the rural areas where I was, you'd have four people in the back, complete strangers. You're getting in four deep in the back, two deep in the passenger seat in the front seat. And I've even seen somebody get in the seat with the driver, a random passenger. Yeah. <laughs> and transit in public transit in remote areas in Central and South America yeah. and the Caribbean is uh is an experience every time. I've had yeah. some good experiences and man, just that bring when you say that it makes me think about some and yeah. yeah, it's it's a little bit different than what we know about traveling around here. It is. Or taxis or Ubers, I guess. Yes. <laughs> it is. But talk about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. When you're like up against a stranger and it's like hot outside and you're sweating against each other and your legs stuck in and you don't even know this person, like and this is just your day to day. Like, yeah, I mean, you definitely, I mean, I, I've been in trying to take trips around here with people and it's like, y'all are going to ride five people in one like SUV. I'm like, 
I'm going down the road. Is it really that uncomfortable? Like we're so spoiled in the U.S., man. Oh, anyway, yeah. it's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm in Jamaica. I know my host dad. I'm living with this guy. He's in his early 50s. We have no running water. <laughs> he actually stole electricity for us. He hooked this little line onto like the official power line, and he would just steal electricity for his house, which probably was only. Like didn't require much electricity anyway. I mean, I wasn't going to question his his lifestyle anyway. So we, uh, there's no running water where I was at. I guess it's probably pretty interesting to people. Um, we used a catchment system, so we just had gutters that would funnel rainwater into this big tank next to our house, like a big concrete tank, and it had like a mesh net over the top, and then we had a little pump that would pump water into the top of the house. And so there's a little tank up top, and the water on the top of the house would just run via gravity feed into the two bathrooms in the kitchen, and like. That's the water that you used. Uh, there was no hot water or anything. It wasn't filtered. Having lived there for over a year, they had talked about boiling your water. I'm like, I'm not gonna boil my water for over a year. Like, if it was a week, I'm boiling my water. If it's a year, I'm not boiling my water. So, there were some bathroom issues for a while there. You just kind of worked through it. I feel like I have a really good immune system to this day, partially because of that. But uh, yeah, like anyway, living in the middle of nowhere. Live with this guy. I primarily worked out of a school teaching uh, English and math to sixth graders and had some other like community projects and things. But um, it was a very neat time in my life because there was a ton of downtime. And, you know, there's no, I had a little, the little Nokia cell phone that had the million like face plates on it. But of course, it's not a smartphone or anything. This is 2008, 2009. Um, so yeah, you're kind of just forced to interact with, with people and find things to occupy your time. I read a lot. I played a ton of dominoes, which I love to this day. Um, but I think that was a good thing, right? Because, I mean, you're you're pushed out there in the middle of nowhere, and I'm a 23-year-old guy in Jamaica where the vast majority of the people, at least in that area, look very different than me, and I'm supposed to accomplish things in the community. I can literally feel like walking out of my house is the scariest thing in the world to me because I know people are going to look at me and want to know about me, and, like, it was just uncomfortable, you know, but it's like, all right, well, you got to do this and you're never going to get, it's never, you're never going to overcome that. Like, it's just going to be there every day. So yeah, honestly, just like taking steps out in the community and like introducing yourself and meeting people and you're an American again, you look different you talk different and their dialect was very strong there. They spoke Patois, which is mixed kind of a French and Spanish and English and can be very hard to understand in that part of the country. But, uh, yeah, you just got to adapt, you know, um, and being 23 and going through something like that was definitely a kind of set me on this path for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, just a lot of, I, I appreciate it now when I was going through it, it was a hard, right? Cause there's just times when you're just like super lonely and you're out there and you're on your own, but your quote that you read at the beginning of this, I feel like forcing you to kind of face yourself and these challenges that you're going through. I think that it's too easy in life sometimes just to bury your head in the sand and not sit with some of these challenging times and not face those. It's like, we can always have like social situations we can throw ourselves into and do all this other stuff. But I'm a big proponent of like, sometimes you need to just sit with it and face yourself. We all have challenges. You don't want to do that all the time. It's the best thing you can do. And maybe some of your ignorance was bliss then because you probably had no idea what you were completely getting into like the Peace Corps seems cool because you're going to this brand new place and you're going to do all this stuff right. that you've never done. You don't think about 
walking out and feeling like you're the only person on the universe probably sometimes and you're just sitting there with your own thoughts yeah. and then interacting with people that have no idea where Columbus, Georgia is or where you're from or what it's like or your culture or anything like that. Um, I mean, I think about a lot of stuff that I've read about people hiking the Appalachian Trail or comparable trails. I just recently went on a four-day little solitude trip that I try to go on every year. And, and now that I've gone several years, I think about it. I know it's going to be difficult and I want it to be difficult because I know that that means it. the more challenging it is, the same thing we keep saying, the more challenging it is, the more that I really got in there and the deeper that I got mm-hmm. um, and what's going to come out of that is typically more fruitful. And on the back end of every single one of those experiences that I've had and that, that you typically hear people talk about, it's always like, whew, that was tough. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm so glad that I did that. And I mean, I, and so talking about the Peace Corps, I was really excited about getting to this part with you because I did know about that. I didn't know about some of the things that maybe led up to you making that decision. I think it was maybe a compounding thing that led you to, to making decisions like that. But man, hearing the stories you've talked about over the years and other people that I have talked to that have done Peace Corps, I mean, I've heard some of the wildest stories. Every account that I've heard, people have been in this place like you just described. It's like they dropped me off and I'm not even there yet, but you're there. Right. <laughs> this is where you're going. Yeah. And um, and yeah, just think that that's, man, at 23 years old, you were right, 23? Yeah. At that time in your life, a lot of people are getting out of college or at least starting to get into adulthood and sort of finding themselves. But I know so many people that have never left their hometown and I don't mean any disrespect to them, but man, that's the polar opposite of what you've done here. And, and I just think about how this experience for you just set up your mindset for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? All right. We're going to pause it right there and end here today for episode three, as Taylor has taken us through his life from childhood on into high school and college where he went to North Georgia and then had this wild idea to walk on at the University of Georgia to play football. After his college years, he made the decision to join the Peace Corps. And as we've just heard, moved down to Jamaica and lived out in the middle of nowhere. And he talked about some of his experiences there, but I hope you tune in next time to episode four where we continue to talk about the Peace Corps a little bit and how that sort of shaped his mindset for the rest of his life.